I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Hello, darling. Hello, my dear. I feel (laughs) like we're both in pretty good spirits today. We are. Seems like, yeah. We are, believe it or not. I had, like, probably the most, like busy day that I've had in a while but when I list the things that I did this day I'm it's not really that big of a deal but I think it's because I haven't been working and I've been like out all day and like doing things that I Ugh. feel I feel good you know what I mean like I got a lot of stuff done yet. yeah in yeah. the regular world it wouldn't really be that much <laughs> you know it, it is kind of a wild thing that like I tend to get overwhelmed whenever I put too much on my plate and then oh, really? Like, maybe maybe I shouldn't put too much on my plate. But if I don't have a lot of things on my plate, I just don't feel right. Like I have a lot of things going on right now and like a lot of balls in the air with a lot of different things. And I can I, I start to get stressed out about it. But at the same time, I know if I wasn't doing all of that stuff, I wouldn't feel right does that make sense I think there's a I think there's a a balance between like because I definitely know that I've gone through this at times where I don't know how to relax I don't know how to just turn my you know my work brain off especially because I'm not like actually employed right now I feel like if I'm not doing something productive I'm just wasting my time so I've had to actually kind of like work on relaxing where I put my phone down I put things away and I just watch a tv show for an hour even if it's just that because I think there is such a glamorizing of like being busy and we feel good when we're busy because we feel accomplished and productive but then at the same time we forget how important it is to actually like practice relaxation because it's hard to be like disconnected and not busy because then you're alone with your thoughts and nobody wants that you know so it's it's almost like that like being busy is almost like a coping mechanism 
especially right now, I feel like for not having to just like sit with yourself. You know what yeah, I mean? This this world doesn't really allow us a lot of time to slow down because we're always plugged in. We're always connected. It is really important to find things in your life. I've started working out again, which I think has been kind of, kind of my thing, you mm-hmm. know, or or meditation is also really good. I've talked about that as well. I do think if you are someone like me who likes to stay really busy and does get a certain amount of joy out of accomplishing tasks or starting projects or doing whatever, it is still vitally important to find ways to take breaks. Because You almost have to like try even more if you're that type of person. Mm-hmm. You, you will, know what I mean? You will burn out yeah. and then you won't be able to do anything. I made a status and you and I talked about it um, on my Instagram kind of talking about that where I was just like, do you ever have so much to do that you just get like paralyzed and then you can't do anything? Yeah. And that did happen to me last week, you know? Yeah. That has been a thing for me. I think just with having anxiety, I get that way where if I have too many things ahead of me in a day, I can't do that. I'm like, I, my brain just wants to shut off, go to bed, not do anything. So it's really easy to get overwhelmed. And I think what I told you is just something I do myself where it's like, okay, I'm going to work for 20 minutes, then I'm going to take a break or I'm going to take a 20 minute break and then I'm going to get back to work for a little do bit. And just one like, task. Yeah. yeah. Focus on one thing at a time. Take breaks when needed. Focus on your breathing. Stretch out your body. You know, all those kinds of things. Because I feel like, yeah, for workaholics, it's definitely easy to just, like, ignore your mental health and the way you're thinking because your coping is by being so busy. So you're not ever letting yourself catch up to any of that. And you know what? If you have a fear, because sometimes I do, that it's not Uh going to get done, nine times out of ten, it's going to get done, even if you take breaks. It will, oh. it will probably still get done. So It'll get done chill. and it'll be better than you think it's going to be. Because that's always my thing. It's like, okay, it's done, but is it really done? Is it really the best that it could be? Do I need to do more? Like for me, I don't finish projects. I feel like because I never feel like it's complete. That's my problem. I never oh, like yes. it enough to be like, this is done and this is the way it is. So for me, I've had to get used to being like, this is fine the way it is and it's good. And it's probably better than I think it is. So I'm just going to leave it yeah, that way. You know? Absolutely. Well, I got some really good news this morning that I'm so excited about because my mom has been trying to get the vaccine in Idaho. And so she called last week and they were like, yeah, so basically just call this number every day and just check to see if there's any availabilities because they were going, they were out of vaccine appointments in like 10 minutes. Like they were just going through them like crazy. So my mom being, you know, living alone and basically being stuck in her house during the pandemic for all of this. And during this time, she went to um, where she used to work today and stopped by. And she heard that there were these like Trump towns next door where nobody is using the vaccine and they have like vaccines galore. She called and got an appointment for tonight at 6 p.m. Wow. Isn't that insane? Oh, that's so exciting. I know. I'm so happy that she's like getting that ball rolling, but I couldn't believe it when she told me. She was like, yeah, the Trumpers don't want them. Do you? I'm starting to get this really weird mixture of excitement and anxiety about the fact that things are going to start opening up like I have I have anxiety because I worry that like we're going to get vaccinated and then like I I heard something about a strain in Brazil like I'm aware I'm I'm afraid that like we're going to get the vaccine we're going to slowly start to like be normal people again and then somebody's going to get some wild strain that the vaccine is not going to be able to take care of and then we're all going to die. I don't know. That's how my mind works. I just feel like if that happens and we end up back after getting a taste of freedom and we end up back in 
lockdown, I, I don't do know it. what will happen to my mental health. Like, yeah. I will crumble mentally uh, if, if that happens. But there is just also this weird thing. I was reading an article about how um, there's a possibility that we may be almost back to normal over the summer and then we might regress again in the fall and winter, but that the summer months will be mostly open because most people will be vaccinated and it's warmer and we're outside and things like that. Yeah, and I really hope that like while everything's kind of flat, I hope it continues to go down because that's my concern yeah I'm I'm very excited for that and yeah, I'm looking forward to things being open and returning mm-hmm. somewhat to normal but I also don't know how I'm going to respond to that I don't know how to go back living it's gonna the be life I lived before it's gonna be shocking but you know I think if if for a bit of peace of mind I don't think it's gonna happen fast everything is gonna be so slow masks are still gonna be a thing for a long time unless you're in Texas unless you're in Texas then it's like fuck it do whatever you want run crazy but um yeah I it's nothing is gonna change immediately unless you're Texas like we said but and Mississippi I think but yeah and Mississippi yeah I mean it's it and if you're a smart person yourself, even living in Texas and Mississippi, and no matter what your state is telling you to do, you know, ease yourself into it with all of it. Like, I wouldn't say go to an amusement park with tons of people or go to a concert or, you know what I mean? It's like both for your emotional health and for your physical health. I feel like dipping your toes back in and getting your close friends and your family and then and then it's going to be the roaring 20s then we're all just going to be partying and wasted all the time it's going to be great just like the beginning of quarantine (laughs) wait i can't wait oh my god okay so i wanted to talk about this this um I wanted to talk about it last week, but speaking of mental health, we needed a little bit of a mental health break. Thank you all for bearing with us uh, through that. But I had this on my notes for last week, so it is a little bit old now. However, I still thought it was important to talk about, and that is that there are new findings in the Elijah McClain case. So, yeah, it was just his birthday the other day. And Mm -hmm. I was reading about his whole story again. Is this like really like how did I not see this? Because his birthday was like last week. Yeah, this happened like days before his birthday. Okay, well, I haven't seen this. I'm very interested Mm -hmm. to learn more. Oh, yes. So independent investigators released a report on Monday, February 22nd, that determined that police were at fault for the deadly arrest of Elijah McClain. Um, The arresting officers were faulted for, quote, quick, aggressive treatment of McClain. And District Attorney Dave Young was called out for failing to properly investigate the uh, case. And that's from the AP, the Associated Press. So okay. for those of you who maybe need a refresher, um, Elijah McClain was a 23-year-old man who was killed while being arrested in Aurora, Who was, who was just Colorado. the sweetest, mm-hmm. the sweetest appearing man. I mean, obviously, we didn't know him personally, but he kind of captivated the nation with these videos of him and his cats and his violin. And yeah. he just was this obviously sensitive sensitive soul and even in his last words were just so yeah sensitive and 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 genuine and kind that you know he his death impacted me I mean just like he did with many other people but was very impactful right yeah it it absolutely was you know because 
you have all these videos of him seeming very like sweet and smiley and all mm-hmm. these testimonials about his character um and him kind of being like yeah he was like a little bit of a quirky guy so they were like yeah when he was he he had um some kind of I don't want to say disorder, but something that made him cold, like his blood didn't flow correctly. So So he always was like layered and Mm -hmm. he was wearing a like ski mask that day and he was kind of moving his limbs, which made him suspicious to whoever called the police. But his friends and family are like, no, that was just he liked to dance when he walked. And that's kind of just the way he moved. And have you been to LA I literally was just at the grocery store an hour ago and there was a woman singing and dancing out loud to her music in her ears throughout the grocery store no one called the cops on her (laughs) I was working today in my living room and I heard someone yelling John Bon Jovi's dead or alive they were just walking along the sidewalk outside like yelling at the top of their and I wanted it wasn't threatening or anything it was just like this is kind of a quirky person who's just like doing what they do you know and like yeah it doesn't mean that there's a danger and I, I definitely feel so like the other day when I woke up, there was a man running into the street trying to stop cars to hitchhike. And then he like pulled his pants down and peed. And like this man was clearly unwell. But at the same time, like Max and I were thinking like, we're not going to call the cops because one, we're not those people. And two, that's not what this person needs. Like this person needs like compassion and help. And a cop is not going to help him in this situation. And that's exactly kind of what I've learned through the only this thing pro- that through could this. drive me to call the cops is if I thought there was an immediate threat, an immediate danger, and I didn't know who else to call. I was worried about him. I was worried about him because he was going, he was obviously unwell. He was knocking on people's car windows, walking into the street. It was just one of those things, like I live on a very busy street and it was, I just didn't know what was going on. I felt really worried about him. And I feel like that's the trouble with this whole like, you know, this is why we need to defund the police. There needs to be someone else that I could think of to call to help this man rather than someone that could like possibly hurt him. Like that was the thing that was, that's a struggle, you know? And there is, there are people that you can call. The problem is that we don't have those numbers readily available to us. Like everybody tells you call 911 or call whatever. We don't have, there are in, especially in communities in Los Angeles, there are other resources that you can call and all of us should be made aware of those and we should keep those numbers on our fridge. For I was just going like to say that. because in a moment like that, like I'm not thinking that I'm going to pull up my phone and Google exactly. a phone number. Like it's more you're just like, what do I what exactly. do I do? You know, because there were people walking outside like it was it was kind of a, a weird situation and this guy wouldn't leave. So I was just concerned about what was going to happen. But yeah, yeah. You, you know what? We and should your, find and those your, numbers and keep them on our yeah. fridge for situations like that. Yeah, that is very, very important. We actually we get a lot of homeless people that come up and down our street and that sometimes, you know, act in a more, I guess, abnormal fashion than you and I would. Uh, and I also live down the street from a police, uh, why can't I think of station? that? Station? Station. A station. A police station. God. Yeah, I'm like, a mi- I'm like not even a mile down the road from the police station. So there's like always shenanigans on my street. I would much yeah. rather call decent people that wear masks. None of the cops ever wear masks. What the fuck? Sorry, Shocking. I'm done. Okay, right. okay. Continue. I'm Elijah. sorry. <laughs> back so, to Elijah. Um, he was killed while being arrested in Aurora. 
Colorado in August of 2019. His case really didn't pick up a lot of steam until the summer of last year during during all of the Black Lives Matter uprisings. Um, But this report that came out on the 22nd concluded that the investigation of McLean's death by the police department, the Aurora Police Department, um, their major crimes unit was badly flawed and alleged the detectives, quote, stretched the record to exonerate the officers rather than present a neutral version of the facts. And it found two contrasting stories of the events that unfolded leading up to McCain's death. Statements from law enforcement accused McCain McLean of being violent and said that they were forced to engage in a violent struggle with him. However, as we heard last summer, body camera footage told a different story. In it, you can hear Elijah apologizing, crying out in pain, trying to explain himself, and pleading with the officers as they utilized, quote, pain compliance techniques to subdue him. Um, And didn't they inject him with something as well? Well, they didn't. So they put him in a choke hold, which was designed to stop blood flow to his brain. Right. Um, And again... I really caution anybody who is going to seek out listening to these tapes because it's some of the most heartbreaking thing. It's one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard is um, is, him on these tapes. You can hear that he is such a gentle soul, Mm -hmm. Um, but they put him in a chokehold designed to stop blood flow to the brain and he was rendered temporarily unconscious. So then they called the paramedics who arrived to the scene and injected him with 500 milligrams of ketamine to sedate him, which was far more than they should have administered for his body weight. Well, this is, sorry to interrupt, but this is what I don't understand. If he was unconscious, why do they have to still sedate him? Well, I think he must have come to at that point. I remember that he was getting sick Mm -hmm. at one point. Like he was throwing up. He was getting sick on the the tape and apologizing for getting sick. I know. It's it's terrible. It is is the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It is so sad. They gave him far more ketamine. First of all, (laughs) I feel like we shouldn't be willy-nilly injecting people with ketamine in the first Mm -mm, place. mm -mm. But they gave him far more ketamine than um, they should have for his body size. And as a result, um, he had a heart attack and was later put on life support and then taken off life support. So the investigation found that when the paramedics arrived on the scene, they did not examine McLean before administering ketamine. Um, what? <laughs> like they just Fucking showed up. Why? Like do your it, job. Idiots. It's, So the report said that moving forward, paramedics should prioritize the patient instead of acting as a member of law enforcement. Well, no fucking say. shit, Sherlock. Really? <laughs> Uh, Investigators also found that District Attorney Dave Young's review of the case neglected to assess properly whether a crime was committed by one of the officers involved. And after reviewing the case, he said that he did not find enough evidence to support pressing criminal charges against the officers. So the Aurora city manager, who's the one who pushed to open this case, um, emphasized the importance of publicly releasing the results of the report, and his goal is to be as transparent as possible. Quote, city management is reviewing the report and will work with the mayor and city council in coming days and weeks to assure the appropriate steps are taken. Um, 
So they are also pushing for additional, you know, criminal investigations into this. And while one of the officers was fired last summer for failing um, to report photos of officers mocking a cardioid hold at a makeshift memorial for McLean. We talked about that on this podcast. Yes, we did. Just inhumane. Yeah. Um, the other two officers, Woodyard and Rodima, have not been disciplined at all and remain on the police force. So. So upsetting. I was just reading a little bit about the Derek Chauvin trial, the man that mm-hmm. killed George Floyd. Um, I mean, it's they are majorly preparing in Minneapolis for that trial <laughs> right now. Like it is, it's almost like at the Capitol, they've got like barbed wire up and like it's crazy more than stuff. At the Capitol. That's the thing that's so frustrating to me is like, here's a reminder. They didn't have enough security at the Capitol on January 6th, despite <laughs> plenty of warnings of potential violence. Right. Um, that was all over like parlor and Facebook and Twitter. Uh-huh. However, they started planning security for this trial of Derek Chauvin a month ago. Yeah, and to me, that, I don't know if that, I don't know how that sits with me, because to me, it seems like they are trying their best to protect him, which I understand, like, we have to get him through trial, that is part of, you know, the justice system, we need to protect the person who is on trial, I understand that, but at the same time, it's kind of like, it seems a little bit overkill, you know what I mean? It seems a little bit they're going overboard a bit with it, the security for a, for a trial for a cop that killed an innocent man. Well, to me, it's probably more that they're trying to protect the city, given what happened last year. Right. Um, they're bringing in the National Guard. They're bringing in hundreds of law enforcement officers. They've already started closing businesses and, and yeah. boarding up businesses. I think it probably has more to do with them trying to protect the city than trying to protect Derek Chauvin. And look, I'm not even going to judge whether or not that's right or wrong. My problem is the disparity is so stark and clear that whenever the threat is white supremacists against even our nation's leaders in the Capitol, we have blinders on and we refuse to see it. But whenever you're afraid of the people protesters who are upset about particularly particularly what they all like to call the black lives matter protesters Mm -hmm. the blm protesters you know antifa oh god yeah you know it's it's the people that are protesting that they don't like you know Mm -hmm. it's one thing if you are trump supporter white supremacist that's fine but it is i mean that was the biggest parallel that i remember being drawn on january 6th was like Mm -hmm. the the difference in treatment between the people protesting this summer and the people Mm -hmm. that broke into the u.s capitol building it's and that's what upsets me it's, it's not yeah. that they've brought in security or that they're right. preparing for what it, likely there will be some protests and some unrest like as there should about, be i would love to be there right now yeah it's not about that like at all like i'm like i i understand that to a degree my issue is that it is so clearly one-sided and they are so worried about violence from one group when the FBI has continued to reiterate and just this week reiterated that the greatest threat to our nation domestically is white supremacists, terrorists. Mm-hmm. Like, Us. why? It's, it's, it's Americans. It's people right here, you know, and it's, yeah, people and don't want to see And it's it. honestly mostly right-wing white, white supremacists. <laughs> like, it's not Black Lives Matter. That yeah. they're not the biggest threat to this nation. Like, no. So no. put in, you know, the appropriate safeguards. I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, what I wanted to talk about today was actually also kind of old news, but I wanted to bring it up because it seems like something that I think a lot of our listeners would have a lot of interest in. It's something that I have a lot of interest in learning about, and that is the troubled teen industry. Oof. Yeah. So I've, I listened to a great podcast. I just had it in my, I think it's called Lost Boys. I'll put it in the show notes so you can find it. But I listened to a great podcast um, at the beginning of the pandemic where they started talking about SEDU, which was kind of like the original of these, you know, troubled teen quote unquote schools. And if you don't know about them, I'm going to tell you a little bit now, but definitely I think either we should talk about it more, do your own sure. research because it mm-hmm. is crazy. So the we reason we can talk about reform schools, there's a lot of like really horrifying things that happened. It's horrifying. And I'm going to touch on a, on a bit of it now um, because it, this was in the news a lot because Paris Hilton was testifying against the school that she attended when she was young. And so she actually did attend multiple of these troubled teen treatment centers slash schools, depending on which one you're going to. When Paris was 17, she went to Provo Canyon School for 11 months, where she was abused both mentally and physically. Staff members would beat her, force her to take unknown medication, watch her shower, and even send her to solitary confinement in the nude as punishment. Paris testified at a Senate committee hearing at the Utah Capitol in favor of a bill that would require more government oversight of the youth residential treatment centers and require documentation when restraints are used. The measure did pass unanimously following her testimony along with several other survivors. There is a hashtag out there called hashtag breaking code silence, which is a social media movement that encourages alumni to share their stories. So code silence was what the term that they used if you were to basically shun one of your classmates or one of the students. So if I did something wrong, everyone would basically have to pretend that I didn't exist for like a very extended period of time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't no Mm -hmm. one was allowed to speak to me, be near me, anything like that. So they, they've kind of taken that term and turned it into now um, opening up about your experiences being there. So all of these schools are based on the 60s era California cult called Synanon. And Synanon actually is the one that started the Sea-Doo school, which was in Colorado, I believe. And it was built up from that belief. And then from that, all of these other schools began popping up and the troubled teen industry boomed and it is a money making mm-hmm. industry based off of just straight up child abuse um Provo Canyon School calls itself a psychiatric youth residential treatment center, and they are owned and operated now by the Universal Health Services. According to the Wikipedia page, PCS offers year-round academics, a variety of educational programs, career counseling, competitive sports, and special education. (laughs) It is also accredited under the Northwest Accreditation accreditation commission and that was something interesting that i learned in listening to the podcast and reading some of these stories like there's no schooling involved like they're accredited and they Mm -hmm. on paper go to school but there's no schooling Mm -hmm. actually being involved so pcs first went under fire in the 80s and 90s as lawsuits ranged from verbal physical sexual abuse medical negligence violating students first amendment rights the invasion of privacy false imprisonment battery intention Intentional infliction of emotional distress, civil conspiracy, and loss of parental consortium? And loss of parental consortium, whatever that word is. So parents were not allowed to contact their children. They were usually given like a Mm 15-minute phone call sitting with a staff member. 
Um, they were told not to disclose anything that was going on in the school or anything like that, or else they would be severely punished. And because of this, a lot of children would try to run away, but these schools were put in these locations where it was like a death wish to try to leave. Like I read stories of people who, you know, would walk for days in these mountains and just get lost and dehydrated and they had no other choice but to go back to this school and they really weren't able to leave. So... Like many other students, Paris was forcibly taken to the school in an ambush. So a lot of times they'd wake you up Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night or really early in the morning. And they would like handcuff you and force you to these schools. Uh, She once escaped by jumping down a flight of stairs, it said. And another time she called her grandfather, Conrad Hilton, to come get her. One former counselor, Randolph Roy, remembers loathing Paris. They say... She was the absolute worst. She was the biggest, most hysterical bitch. She was impossible. She, she would, was a child. Exactly. She was a child? She like, wouldn't I do anything see. we asked her to do. It's it's insane. Because, well, and none of this is, it's all tearing you down to build you back up. So they there are these things called rap sessions where, like, you're in there, and then if you're the target, you just get screamed at for hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know it that is, you don't listen ugh. to them anymore, and I don't listen to them uh, as often anymore either but my favorite murder did a whole episode on one of those schools where people actually died, died. yeah i yeah. bet it, it was Sidu because Sidu was i mean there have been so many i mean i was looking at the wikipedia page for Sidu in particular because this is the provo canyon school so it's a little bit different but Sidu was the original and if you look at just all of their um controversy arrests uh, investigations. It's insane. Like there yeah, was, there were was, convicted killers working there. There were, I mean, it, there was no screening yeah, process for anything involved, and it's horrible. This was a different. It was a different school, but it was. It's the same. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. I think all these techniques are are the same. And the sad thing was, all this stuff came to light literally, like I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. um, on Reddit. Where people yeah. were kind of like seeking to to reach out to other people who had experienced yeah, this. That's, and I went down that's that That's how this Reddit. whole thing started. I, yeah. I looked at that same Reddit thread. And it made me so sad because a lot of these people, you know, were saying like, I hated my parents for a long time for not, for not, you know, for putting me there in the first place. And then to this day, they still won't acknowledge what they did to me. Yeah. Or like well, because apologize the, for it. Yeah. And the parents are shown such a different picture where I think they you know they're told like you have bad kids so you can't listen to them like they're told not to trust their children I really feel like parents are very brainwashed in that situation as well where I mean you they're kind of shitty to begin with like Barbara Walters and Roseanne Barr sent their kids to these places and stuff like I judge you if you're like I can't handle my kids so I'm gonna send them to a treatment center where they can get screamed well, at. Okay, I mean but, on the other on the other side of that. Well, they don't know they're going to get screamed at, probably. And like eh, on the yeah. other side of that, like uh, there's a documentary. We're going to have to. We can't go too deep into this because that's what I said. I'm like, mark. I know we're going to want to talk more about it, but um, but there is a documentary um that's on HBO. I can't remember what it is right now, but it's I watched it and it's highlighting you know the behavior problems these 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 people have kids who have really severe behavioral problems that are yeah. putting them and their other children at risk and that and i totally like, understand they don't know they don't know what to do because you don't want to send your kids away and you don't yeah. want to 
but you also can't have them in the house. So like, what do you do? And so I feel for people who are in a situation. But this is the like thing that. is that there are like real treatment centers. And I feel like maybe mm-hmm. because these this started, you know, coming out of like a 60s cult, it was really they were really big in like the 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, so that it was not the age of the Internet where everything was, you know, more available. So your information um can be given to you however it's given. But I feel like there has to be an understanding. Like, I know that there has to be residential treatment facilities or therapy even because I feel like there's this idea that, like, your kids are just bad. And that's not it. It's like you need to listen. Why are they reacting this way? What's going on? Sometimes there are actual, like, chemical imbalances that are making them respond that way. But, like... Well, and that still deserves residential care for medication and things like that. But, But like, not... The problem, Madigan, is that, like, these, these people... Like, if you watch this documentary... Unless you have lots of money, like Paris Hilton's family has lots of money, you know Rosie O'Donnell's family has lots of money. But if you don't, not Rosie O'Donnell, money, do not do not wait, dare say Rosie O'Donnell sent her. Who children did you say, there. Roseanne Barr? I said Roseanne Barr and Barbara Walters. Do not dare throw the Queen Rosie O'Donnell in with these assholes. I love Rosie O'Donnell so okay. much. I really don't feel okay, that strongly about Rosie O'Donnell. I'm sure but, she's been problematic in the past, but I love. Uh, there's something about Rosie that I've always just loved. I love her, but. <laughs> But my point is that Sorry. <laughs> like, there are lots of people who they they cr- they show it in this documentary where it's just like to because of our healthcare system in this country getting your kid into a residential treatment center is so hard. There's sometimes maybe one or two in an entire state and they only take a handful of kids at a time and they're and in ridiculously the meantime, expensive too. And, and, or, you know, you have to wait until you you can get your insurance to cover it. And in the meantime, you have another child at home who's being beat up by your other child. Or yeah, your, like I watched this woman drive her kid and he was she's driving on the highway and he's pulling her hair and kicking at the back of Ugh, her seat. I know. And, I know. And I, it's it's just hard because I don't know what to tell these parents. I'm sure a lot of them send their kids to this school because they genuinely think it's probably the best thing for them. And then they have to deal. And they to need deal. to protect the rest of their family too. And then, they, and I don't know, I know that's not the case all of the time, but yeah. like, it's just what a shitty situation. And then to find yeah, out that I like mean, your kid has been in this horrible place. Yeah. But I feel like most of the stories that I've heard, though, are not those extreme cases. Most of the stories I've heard are like, my kids got into drugs, they were sleeping around, like things that are not actually a big deal. I think that there needs to be, obviously, there needs to be something that is safe and helpful for the children that actually are like... in dire need of real, real help. There has to be somewhere for them. But like the thing that is so frustrating to me is it's like these when I'm hearing the majority of these stories, all I hear is like this, these parents can't stop and love their kids for a second and just listen to them because these kids are not bad. They're acting out. They're teenagers. They don't need to be sent to a residential treatment center. And I think that that's, I mean, that's just bad parenting. Even if they do, this is not that. I want to make it very clear that when I'm, when I'm talking about these things, I, I try to see things from both sides and have empathy for people who maybe feel like they are left no recourse. And I think a lot of of parents sometimes end up feeling that way. However, these schools are not 
it like the, the, these are not you should never send your kid to well, a no, school these, like this these people like, are not a, they say they're an accredited school but the people that are doing the staff there are typically not therapists they're not people that are licensed to be helping your children or to be giving medication but there's so much secrecy involved in these right. institutions that create mm-hmm. such danger and distrust Mm -hmm. where I can imagine that a parent years later could still not see what really happened because then again and and you're having to admit that to yourself there's Mm -hmm. so much involved in it you know what I mean but I I can't imagine the amount of denial that goes into having to grapple with the fact that you put your child in a situation where they were then um, abused and tortured and And they're gonna struggle the rest of their lives I mean what that must be like Yeah. I mean, and that's why I found the Paris Hilton aspect of it to be very, very interesting because, you know, she was part of the Paris, Lindsay, Brittany, that whole kind of like celebrity, almost like obsession with their breakdowns. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. During Mm -hmm. that time, you know, and, you know, learning more and more about these people, learning more about Lindsay Lohan's addictions and now Paris Hilton's childhood and the things she's gone through. It helps humanize these people where we just thought of them as being bad or like uh unhinged or partiers or crazy and and, and they and they yeah it was easy to point at them because it was like look at these privileged white girls and like and you know the rest of us have it so hard and so we were just like they get to just do whatever they want and act up and so i have a right to laugh at them right and while it's okay to be critical of that kind of you know privilege privilege and entitlement and celebrity you also have to remember that there is a human being under there somewhere who's dealing with their own trauma. Yeah, and and sometimes, you know, I feel like as a poor person, my biggest stressor in life is money. I can imagine that if I had all the money in the world that I would still have a lot of bad shit going on. You know what I mean? I feel like something else. There's other things, you know what I mean? And sometimes with extreme money causes extreme problems too like we don't know just because they're privileged privileged on the outside we don't really know what's going on but I, I well, found her family had enough money to send her away you know what exactly, I mean exactly like, exactly and that that brought a whole host of issues where and I'm sure that made of, her feel really shitty too my mm-hmm. parents had enough money to just send me away they didn't have to, to deal not be with their me. problem yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. so I really liked that it has because I've been fascinated by this for a while I like that Paris Hilton is kind of the face of this that she's gotten to talk about this. I'm very glad that this bill was passed for more regulation for these treatment centers. I'm really glad that she seems to still be super involved in all of that. Um, and yeah, I'm I just actually think it's proud really wonderful. of her. I I'm saw a video so of proud. her recently and I was just like, you know what? We gave you such a hard time. And I'm still critical of that entire culture and that kind of like obscene wealth culture. Oh, yeah. When she um, had like the chinchilla as a pet or whatever. It's like, right. No, a girl. lot of that's, you know, I can be critical of a lot of that stuff, but I can say like I can see that she's grown up mm-hmm. and that she really does want to use her platform in a positive way. And yeah. I, I like that. I appreciate that. So, yeah, we, we to have go, to. Paris. Exactly. We have to allow everybody to grow and change. You know, yeah, and it's pretty absolutely. Wonderful. And we should definitely do a full length episode on on these schools because it's an ongoing problem. Yeah. Um. Despite the you know attention that they've gotten, they still exist. There, uh, people are still going through these things. Yeah. So. It's almost like cults where they're so secretive that they can just kind of evolve into different things to just kind of continue to be under the radar. You know what I mean? Well, it's like the lo- pyramid scheme that's just there. You know. 
even after the schools shut down, a lot of the people continue to they don't have any legal ramifications like their their school shuts down but they don't go to jail they don't face any legal consequences yeah um, and a and lot of them still lives, think that they did good work there and and these kids lives are ruined like you know not necessarily ruined but they're affected forever yeah you know so uh, yeah yeah so i wanted to bring that up just because i had a feeling that everybody would find that as fascinating as obviously yes, both absolutely. of us do you mm-hmm. know so, way to go, Paris. We're proud of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we don't have any more uh, information to give you all on merch and Patreon just yet. Sorry. But we do still really want to hear from you about the things that you want to hear on our Patreon. What do you want to hear from us? We want to know. We also want to know what kind of merch you want. We did get a couple of messages of people being like, I like stickers more than buttons, or I want shirts or not this. Like, uh, any kind of feedback that you have of, like, what kind of merch you'd like would be super helpful so that we can give you what you want um okay now i have to actually start the spiel ah (laughs) if there is anything that you would like for us to talk about in the news or anything that you would like for us to talk about in future episodes go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on instagram at angry neighborhood feminist we have a twitter that we sometimes use at yamp podcast why a N F podcast. We have a Facebook business and group page. Go over to the group page and chat with the other listeners. We're getting a little bit more action in there. I'm loving it. Then go over to the business page. And if you haven't already, leave us a review there. Then again, if you haven't already, go on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. It shows us how much you love us. It helps us get seen. And so more people can listen to the show and love us like you do. All right. I think that's all we've got for you today. With, I think so. I think so. All right. With all of that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. Bye. Hey there. This is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.